while we are not a monolith, while we are not universally represented by all things, while we are not all of us are brake cars, we we do have a lot of traits and we see ourselves there. Uh, I, I've always referred to Big Bang Theory as an autistic minstrel show because it's it purports to be sort of autistic with Sheldon, but really, really misses the mark and feels offensive in many ways. Episode 22, Trains Are Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. So, Angela... Today, I have a really exciting topic to talk about. I can't wait to hear it. What are we talking about, Matt? I uh, So this is something that I have... Uh, when we first started talking about doing the podcast, and we made all the list of all the things that we wanted to talk about, this is one thing that... Uh, is very personal to me because my son loves it. He he lives this every time we play. It's it's something to do with. We're this. talking about to- electric towers. Oh well, that too. But, oh, we're talking about Pokemon. Oh well, we're that, talking about Legos. We're talking about. What else do we know that Emmett loves? Chicken nuggets from McDonald's? Oh, he, the McDonald's guy? He does love that. Yeah, the McDonald's dude bring chicken nuggets. Yeah. But today we are going no? to talk about uh, our little blue friend, Thomas. Uh, oh, Thomas the Train. Thomas. My, my son loves trains. We have a train table. We have numerous trains. Every week we go out and we look for more Thomas stuff. We look for more train stuff. And that is what he loves to play with. And this is this has been a topic that has been near and dear to my heart because as autistic people, one of the neat things about bonding with another autistic person is accidentally absorbing their special interest. Ah, I've been there, done that. Yes. And Ask he, me about soccer. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, and he loves Thomas so much. And I've been planning and planning and planning to do a Thomas episode. But just a couple of weeks ago, we finally found Bruno the Brake Car, a toy of the first ever official 
autistic character for Thomas uh, and Friends. So is Bruno a new character? He is. Uh, as of this very past season, premiered in December. And okay, I have a 17-year-old, so my Thomas days are over, and I do not remember Bruno. I can't wait to hear about Yeah, him. yeah, and that's the fantastic thing about this, because when I, as we do, when you dive deep into it, you find a very, very fascinating history of all this. And uh, I, I am just completely excited, and this will be the first ever 17-hour podcast dedicated to Thomas. <laughs> so I can't wait. I have water. I'm good. Let's go. It's like a filibuster. It's it's like a Senate filibuster on Thomas. Exactly. And, And so that's the thing about this, because Thomas comes from a very long tradition. Uh, so, Ah, okay, so let's go back to trains in general. Yeah, I was like, let's roll back to trains. Uh, So the neat thing about trains is that think about how much of the way we conceive of thinking is based on trains, like a train of thought, a one-track mind, full steam ahead, apply the brakes. Everything Mm -hmm. about this is all train-related, and it has seeped into the way that we conceptualize thinking. This is about metacognition. And so this is a thing about us because we are monotropic people. We we go on one track. We we full keep speed ahead, full speed ahead. And this is a thing. So this is actually one thing that I talk about with my clients because we have a thing that's called autistic inertia, right? Autistic in, I have it. Autistic have inertia that. is a body at rest stays at rest, a body in motion stays in motion, and we can't get started until we have all of the plans laid out. So it's like getting a locomotive, a, a an 18 ton locomotive up to speed. But at the same time, we cannot change directions once we get started. We can't slow down once we get started. It looks manic to outside people, but that's just how our brains work. We just were going that way. We already planned that. That's where we're going. And if you pop in and say, hey, we're going to run to the store. Like, no, we're not. There's no track for the store. There's a track for me finishing this project. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I want to start off with this wonderful article uh, by a man named Conductor Rob. Uh, Reasons why autistic people like trains. And Uh, Wait, can we just stop? Is he an actual conductor or has he just taken the monitor moniker conductor rob because i love this name he is an actual conductor he has made his life trains and this this article will link to the will link to several articles in the show notes but this article is written in bullet points as okay rob i i see you rob as is the way of our people and Mm. uh he he says that trains can appeal to some with autism and give them satisfaction and enjoyment for multiple reasons including uh number one wheels uh because as you were talking about when uh, before the show when i was playing with bruno and spinning the wheels uh um, I'm like, put down the wheels, yeah. put down the wheels, step away from the wheels. They just keep spinning and you could just keep spinning them. Exactly. And that's a very fun stimming thing that really this is, is the way for us. Uh, models, because we love details. We love attending to details. We, we love putting the models together. We love playing with models. And this is so no matter what someone's opinion of autism is, whether it's genetic, caused by aliens, you know, 
runs the gamut. That bacteria. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I met someone the other day that's, uh, said that it was caused by heavy metals and i was like now sure what has metallica ever caused in autism oh but, yes that's true yeah. <laughs> megadeth though exactly yeah but but this is the thing most people know at least one train guy a, a right. man with a million dollar model train setup in his basement. I know a train guy. Long before anyone ever used the word autism, there have been train guys. And <laughs> I, I have said before that Emmett will definitely be one of those train guys that has, because again, we've got the giant train setup at home. And the other day, he was playing with his giant train setup and he said, need another train table, need two train tables, go to Walmart, buy another train table because he could not get enough. He needed more space and he is going to have a million dollar setup in his basement with all of the trains with the electric towers. Because again, some people yeah. set up a, you know, college account or a retirement account for their kids, but you're just investing in a, in a train set. Yes, <laughs> There's your legacy. This is the way. This is how we do things. And that's that's the thing about this because, choose, and this is another thing, because there are different specific scales, O scale, uh, different combinations from 040 to 4444 uh, that allows for this specificity uh, because there is a uniform structure to all of this. And if you get into trains, you choose a scale and you stick with it because you can build an entire world. One of the great things that I used to do when I lived in Lexington way before the pandemic was there is this light show at the horse park, uh, horse park being a popular spot for autistic people. But at Christmas, they also have a great model train set up also a great spot for autistic people where all these model train people come together to make this epic model train setup. And oh. it's, it's something that I did for years and years and years until, you know, the pandemic. But so, uh, so wait, yeah. what's the, in case people want to send trains for Emmett, uh, what, what's the, what's his 01.044? What's his uh, collection? I, I'm not sure. Uh, we just, uh, it's the Brio scale, uh, oh, the, the okay, wooden Brio. trains with the magnets. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes. Okay. I've yeah. seen those that they have those at the bookstore, right? It's good. So the thing that I want to make a connection to though is, um, Pokemon oh, yeah. because with Pokemon, there are, first of all, so many different Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Um, and with trains, there's all these different types of trains. They're not all the same. It's not like oh, you're no. just getting a blue one or a green one. The trains do different things. And then with a Pokemon, you have their, you know, energy levels and how they evolve. And you can make a baseball card with facts about them. Each train car has that baseball card. So we talk about, um, data collection. Oh yes, absolutely. And so if it was just like every color of the rainbow, here's a car, they're all the same. Yeah. That wouldn't be fun in the way of Pokemons were all Pikachus in every different color and they all did the exact same thing. That wouldn't grab the attention of the monotropic mind. No. But if you can look at these are the same, but here's how they're different. And here's how I can collect data. And here's more fun. Here's how I can memorize the data. So I can look at it and then rattle off all the other points. I see one data point. Let me give you all the other ones that go in this set. 
that to me is an experience of autistic joy when I know right now I'm memorizing all of the counties in the UK. Oh yeah. And, and it's just like being able to collect data. I have a set of data on each county, demographic breakdowns, major cities, and being able to categorize and collect data. And then we're watching like, um, I don't remember what we watched last night something great British bake off. And somebody's like, I'm from Sheffield. And I was like, great Sheffield. Here are the major universities. Here's the County. Here are all the things. So it looks like we're talking about trains or it looks like we're talking about Pokemon, but we're really talking about how autistic joy is found, how we invent things as autistic people, how we create and why it may look like to you we have a lot of trains. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. <laughs> that looks a little kooky. How come so many trains? <laughs> and that's the big thing about Thomas because Thomas, it, every character in Thomas is based on an actual train type. And you can actually research and find the exact model that each character is based on. And that is fantastic. And, and, okay. and again, as far as you know, the, the, the information goes, trains have schedules and timetables. You can memorize the schedule and the timetable of all the trains. And, and that's the thing. Uh, this is another thing about order because we live in a very chaotic world. Uh, all of this extraneous chaotic data, but trains have that order. You, you can set your clock by how the trains run. And that is one constant in a world of chaos. Plus, uh, yeah. unlike you know cars, trains go on a track. They're very neat. They're very organized. You know where the train is coming from. You know where the train is going. You know when it will be there, unless it Not derails and you have that whole thing. But yeah, well, that's a whole different problem. Exactly. But. <laughs> but that's the thing. You know everything to expect about a train. There's rhythm. They come. They drop off. They pick up. They depart. It's it's very soothing. Everything is ordered in all that. And mm. it's, it's, it's awesome to think about all of this stuff. And this is a big reason why uh, my son loves to go on train rides because he loves to sit there and he loves, oh, Thomas is coming to our little neck of the woods in about Aww. two months. So we're going to go see real life Thomas uh, at our local train museum where we go and he looks at all the toy trains and looks at all the model trains and rides the real train and all that kind of stuff. But that's the thing. There's so much about this autistic data hunger that we love. And Wait, what else was on Conductor Rob's list? Oh, oh, oh uh, uh, about uh, the neatness, the rhythm and the sound. And then he yeah. says that, you know, Thomas is is on track and he's organized. He's bright. He and his friends have spinning wheels. Uh, he, and, but this is a, this goes into a lot of other stuff about... So there's a lot of research in the UK about why autistic kids love Thomas because this is a thing that has been noticed for years. Because did you know that Thomas the Train was invented in 1915? No, what? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Oh, 1945. Sorry, 1945. Yes. I, I would, if you asked me to guess a year, I would have guessed like maybe the 90s. That's the thing. And this is the big fascinating thing. So we'll, we'll get to the Thomas list about why autistic kids love trains uh, because Thomas has been a part of British culture since 1945. Uh, Thomas the Tank Engine is based on the British Railway series by Wilbert Audrey that he wrote for his son Christopher, who loved trains. 
because interesting yeah. christopher yeah. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, so thomas's basis is the lb and scr e2 class <laughs> and great uh, yeah and it was based on a wooden push-along toy from the 1940s made by wilbert out of a piece of a broomstick because his kid loved trains so much mm-hmm. so uh Wilbert wrote this ser- this book uh, called the Railway Series, and Thomas wasn't even in the first book, right? Ooh, but okay. Thomas was uh, described in the opening of Thomas and Gordon, uh, the first story in book number two, as uh, and I, I will uh, copy this and put in uh, over here for you. So, okay, uh, this is Thomas. Okay. A tank engine who lived at a big station. He had six small wheels, a short, stumpy funnel, a short, stumpy boiler, and a short, stumpy dome. He was a fussy little engine, always pulling coaches about. He was cheeky, too. And and that's why uh, I got confused about that, because canonically, Thomas was built on, uh, built in 1915. <laughs> so Thomas is over 100 years old. Ah, so Thomas, the actual tank engine as described, is a 1915 tank engine written about in 1945. Which I also want to jump in. If your son is really into trains and you love your son enough that you are willing to learn everything about trains and write a book about it. It's a little familiar, don't it? I'm just saying. And this comes back to how does autistic culture get created through our special interests? We get real good at shit and we change the world. Exactly. Hello, Thomas. And and that's the thing, because he loved his son so much and his son loved trains so much that he loved trains and he wrote about trains. And uh, so the books have been published since 1945. And the first attempt to bring to television was in 1953. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so the BBC used live-action model trains to recreate the first two stories from the first book, The Three Railway Engines. Uh, They used uh, zero-zero-gauge Hornby Duplo models uh, in uh, reflection of the original illustrations, the, quote, The Sad Story of Henry. It was broadcast on June uh, June 14th, 1953, uh, but uh, the, the model derailed and uh, the one of the operators had to come in and pick it up and put it back on there. It was considered a disaster by everyone involved, so they decided not to do any more. Okay. But uh, the books kept on the, the books kept on tr- coming as a train does, and guess and in 1973, uh, guess which famous composer wanted to make a show about Thomas the Train? 73, 73 in England, Burt Bacharach, Andrew Lloyd Webber. No. Yes. <laughs> He's yeah. here, the phantom of the train station. Yeah, and that's the thing, because Andrew Lloyd Webber is a Thomas fan. He had been reading the book since he was a kid. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, he wanted to write an entire show and write all the music about Thomas. I am assuming the producers passed on this brilliant idea. They did, because uh, uh, according to uh, the people, uh, they quote... Uh, 
because Android Weber's company wanted, quote, control of almost everything because Mm. uh, Android Weber said it was necessary to secure the investment money from America, which would be needed to pay for the animation and the filmmaking. Hmm. But... Uh, but this is a thing. Uh, so anyway, the next attempt came in 1979 when okay. British television producer Britt Allcroft was producing a documentary on the Bluebell Railway. And uh, as part of her research, she read some of the books in the Railway series. It was very entertained in which the books were written. And she said, quote, uh, I'll copy and put this in the notes. She said, there was something in the stories that I felt I could develop that would connect with children. I saw strong emotional content that would carry with little children's experiences with life. Yeah, yeah. So she started working to make Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. And she said, you know what? Uh, we we definitely need uh, trains. And the plan was to get actual scale model trains that you could buy from a store, add faces to them, tell a story. And she said, you know what would be great? If we got a Beetle to do this. Because if we had a Beetle to narrate, it would be fantastic. So okay, she would- John Paul George and Ringo beetle not a vw bug yes okay so so she went to paul mccartney and paul mccartney said no why would you ever expect to get a beetle for this and then she went to george and george said oh yeah that'd be great okay i'm in (laughs) yeah so uh uh no 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 not george sorry ringo ringo Ringo. i knew it was gonna be ringo i'm like this is gonna end up at ringo it has to end up somehow with ringo ringo's always the one so Mm -hmm. uh in 1984 that's when on itv uh the first thomas series premiered and ringo was the narrator and eventually it came over to the U.S. and they decided to add some Shining Time station segments and Ringo played Mr. Conductor. And he he was a big part of it uh, starting in 1989. And, and then from 1991 to 1993, George Carlin replaced him as Mr. Conductor. Uh, so uh, George Carlin. Everybody needs to work. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, George Carlin, one of the most influential people and author of the, you know, seven words you can't say on television, became the host for a magnificent children's television show, which you wouldn't expect. All right. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, eventually, uh, Alec Baldwin played Mr. Conductor in the movie, and then he went on to be Mr. Conductor on the show for several years. Mm, That was around my kid's age. Yeah, yeah. We were in the Alec Baldwin era. Yeah. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. So uh, anyway, who's your, who's your conductor? Oh, uh, well, that's the thing. They've changed formats now because uh, I'm glad you brought that up because the Brit Allcroft company, the woman who 
yeah. got uh, Thomas onto the, the show, uh, changed its name to the Ghislaine Entertainment, which was purchased by Hit Entertainment, which is a subsidiary of Mattel. Okay. So uh, Mattel said, you know, yeah, yeah, we want to sell a ton of Thomas toys. So they bought the company that makes Thomas. And these days, uh, it's exclusively an animated series that doesn't have any live action segments whatsoever. And uh, you can actually, uh, they actually record two versions, one in England and one in the U.S. So you have... British English and American English. Aww. So some of them have the traditional English accents and some of them have uh, American accents. And this is uh, the neat thing about this because this we're just on the second season of this new uh, Thomas and Friends uh, version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but this is why we come into this because uh, in the second season, they introduced Bruno the brake car. Okay. Bruno the brake car is canonically autistic. Bruno the brake car is played both in England and America by two autistic boys. Ooh, I'm excited about that. Bruno the brake car is written by autistic writers. What? Yes. This sounds so thoughtful. It is, it is. Uh, So, uh, you, you remember uh, back when we talked about Julia from Sesame Street and how yeah. ASAN, the Autistic Self Advocacy Network, had a major role in developing her. Mattel worked with ASAN for three years wow. and all sorts of autistic representatives, autistic advocates, autistic authors, and we're going to get to all of these in just a minute, uh, awesome. about how to develop Bruno to make him an authentically and delightful autistic representation because uh so according to studies uh 58% of autistic parents reported or 58% of uh, parents in April 2007 said that Thomas was a character their child enjoyed uh one person said Thomas and friends is 100% responsible for getting my child talking because uh their child was echolalic and would repeat Thomas and I- about a third of parents reported that their children were able to learn basic facial expressions from the characters, as all of Thomas's friends have easy-to-read expressions. They are either happy, sad, or angry. So here is a list that was compiled uh, by the National Autism Foundation and uh, uh, National Autism Society in England about why autistic kids might like Thomas. Oh, hold on. Did I? I accidentally copied and pasted the same thing. Control Z, copy, paste. So this is a list of all of the autistic traits for Thomas. Yeah. Okay. So calm, clear narration of the stories. Clear and exaggerated signposts to signal changes. Oh, that's like the visual. Give me the visual of what's happening. Easy to follow, predictable storylines. Still backgrounds and scenery. Why do you think that one is? Still backgrounds and scenery. Something uh, about interoception? Uh, easier to uh, process without all the extra sensory data because um, you have the, the clear focus. You're not uh, distracted by background data. It's all about the here and now. And uh, you, you can, it's, it, it cuts out all the static. Interesting. I wonder if that's why I can never watch fight scenes. I can never figure out who's hitting who when. Yes. I'm just like, tell me who won at the very end. Okay, bold colors, ease of recognition of characters. I appreciate that. Uh, exaggerated, easy to read facial expressions. So good. 
accuracy of the models. So talk about that one. Uh, well, that's the thing. Uh, like we talked about, Thomas is based on an actual train. Percy is an actual train. Gordon is an actual train. You you can get to know the characters. You can know the trains that they are based on. You can build them yourself if you so choose. Oh, so good. Yeah. And you can just go deeper and deeper and layers and layers because it's real. If it was fake, even if it was like accurate within the fake world, it's hard to go deep unless it's like you can, uh, there's obviously research out there unless you create it like Pokemon. Exactly. Predictable roles played by various characters, AKA the opposite of my life, especially with other children who are the least predictable beings on the planet. Exactly. <sighs> and the collectible nature of things, which Mattel is delighted to serve the autistic market because the autistic children will force their parents to buy them all and Mattel will get rich and roll around with champagne and Monopoly. Yeah, and that's the thing. Every week, uh, my son and I go out uh, looking for new Thomases and every once in a while he'll want to get another Thomas. I'll have to say, no, you've already got that one at home. And he'll go, ah, because he, he loves collecting the Thomases. He, and, and that's the thing because... As the stereotype says, we love lining stuff up. What better to line up than a train? Because that's how trains work. You They're have to line up the train cars. It's, uh. it's so organized. And that's the thing about you know, my son and his train table. He will put every single car he has all the way around the train table to where it's too long to actually move. Because he, he wants to put them all together in a nice order. And his little universe is so ordered and so collectible with so many colors and so much variety. And he is a tiny little god of this world of trains and, and that's why you need to buy him another train table exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. it, the, 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 he's, he's made a very clear argument so for a seven-year-old he wins the debate <laughs> so that's where thomas and friends all engines go comes in this new incarnation and again they consulted with asan and they consulted with the people that we're getting ready to talk about to create bruno the brake car and uh let's this is a, a synopsis of Bruno, uh, the character. All right. Bruno, voiced by Chuck Smith in the U.S. and Canada and Elliot Garcia in the U.K., is a red American brake car that loves routine and hates surprises. He was first introduced in season two and is the first character in the franchise to be, you said earlier, canonically, but this actually says first character in the franchise to be explicitly autistic. Oh, yeah. They they make a very, very... Uh, uh, this is... Uh, and this is a neat thing because all the... Thomas characters know that he's autistic. They He says that he's autistic. And all the characters accept him and enjoy him for being autistic because uh, I've watched a few of the episodes and they are very good episodes because uh, he flaps. He has his little uh, rails on here that he flaps. He has a little uh, light on here that changes colors to show which emotion he's feeling. Uh, when he's overstimulated, he has great big puffs of steam that come out and put on headphones so he oh. can uh, avoid the sound. And he works as a brake car to counter the other more rambunctious trains. Because if there's a train that's reckless, he goes against that and pulls backwards to keep the train nice and steady to deliver the cargo safely. 
Yeah. His his way of working with the world makes him a necessary asset to the trains because otherwise the merchandise will get uh, destroyed. Uh, the trains might derail. One time there was an incident where an overactive train caused a cave-in, but he was able to get out of it. And he is a necessary part of the team and they respect that because that's who he is. So mm. this is Mattel's official press release for Bruno. Okay, so Mattel says we're going to make lots of money. No. Yes. Uh, so uh, Bruno is a joyful pun-making oh, yeah. great car. He is great at his job and keeps big, heavy cargo steady with his strong brakes, a vital role in Thomas and Friends. All engines go. Bruno rolls in reverse at the end of the train, which gives him a unique perspective on the world. Detail-oriented, Bruno enjoys schedules, routine, and knows where all the tracks lead on Sodor. Bruno has stairs and a lantern on his bright red exterior that indicate his emotional state moving when he is excited or cautious. Bruno's best day is one spent with friends who love him and respect him for who he is, just as he loves them back. Through his on-screen presence, Bruno's rich friendships and important work introduces audiences to a positive neurodivergent role model. Together with key partners, Mattel carefully curated Bruno's character to ensure an accurate fictional representation of an autistic child in the world. Zoe Gross, the director of advocacy at ASAN, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, says, quote, the most important aspect of Bruno's development was getting autistic input, talk to actually autistic people, throughout the process of creating the character and his interactions in the world. It was great to be able to contribute to that as part of a team of consultants from ASAM. Autistic people have been involved in all aspects of creating Bruno, from us as consultants to writers on the show and Bruno's voice actors. This makes Bruno ring true as an authentic autistic character. I hope that Bruno will provide viewers with meaningful examples of inclusion in everyday life. Yeah. Experts from ASAN and Easter Seals, Southern California, as well as writers and autism advocates, Daniel Cher Strom and Aaron Likens, leverage years of experience dedicated to understanding autism and respectfully and artistically creating an uh, accurate on-screen representation. Through their hard work, dedication and care, Bruno opens the door for global audiences in a way Thomas and Friends has never done before. It's wonderful. And that's this is a neat thing because you can go now and watch episodes of All Engines Go on YouTube. You can watch both the U.S. version and the U.K. version. Uh, and and Bruno is delightful in both versions because Bruno is authentically autistic. Bruno has the autistic accent that we talk about. The monotone, disjointed, pedantic speech, tangential conversation, difficulty modulating breathing as he speaks. He stims while he talks. He avoids the eye contact. He gets excited and gets a little fidgety. And again, it is an authentic autistic character. It's an authentic representation of an autistic character written by autistic people, played by autistic people. And it is it is one of the finest representations uh, uh, of autism in media. And we are like so easily pleased. We got some <laughs> criticism for an episode we did uh, a few weeks back about Wednesday. 
And um, not everybody was happy with our analysis because there are a lot of autistic people and we did try and represent their voices, but there are a lot of autistic people who do really like Wednesday's representation. But I think this is a great example of all the stuff they could have done. It wouldn't have been that hard. They paid for consultants. They paid for writers. They paid for actors. Like all these fees were still there. It's not like they invented something here. And Wednesday, if they really wanted to represent autistic culture as part of the Adams Family um, series, whatever, franchise, they could have done these things. I bet it didn't cost that much more or take that much longer to do it the right way. So. We didn't explicitly say that in the Wednesday because I was too annoyed. But Ah. this is what I'm saying. Just like do this. This isn't that hard. Yeah. Yeah. They they put in the effort. They walked the walk. They got. uh, And and one of the neat things about this is that Daniel Sherstrom, the autistic writer, autistic advocate, uh, big contributor to this, when writing the show, made sure that there were even autistic women involved. Because, Crazy talk. Yeah, because he <laughs> knows that there's a, an overrepresentation of autistic men in media because that's what the stereotype is, and he wanted to have that representation. So just knowing people in the autism autistic community, knowing people who understand this kind of stuff, getting these people on board, getting accurate consulting, it makes such a world of difference. It, and it, if you don't, we can see it. Like yes. that was our point. Is it Wednesday is good or bad or has autistic features or doesn't? It's just like, we can look at this and say, this is not autistic culture. This is a bunch of holistic people and neurotypical people guessing what autism might be like. We can sense it. We sensed it from the trailer, like before we even watched it. Like, it's like, I don't think you asked autistic people. And we can see it. That's the reason I still haven't watched it. I, I, I confess it's on my to-do list, but you know, I, I love Tim Burton. We'll be talking about him at some point. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I, I keep talking about Tim Burton, but I keep bumping him for like Bruno because I get excited. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, Check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. I jumped in on, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. And so um, what's Tim Burton's muse? Helena Bottom Carter. Uh, I think she, or former muse. uh, Well, that and and, uh, turn of the century German impressionist cinema. Yes. Um, But she was the mother in, she was like Sherlock Holmes' mother in this show, uh, movie Enola Holmes. Oh, really? Yeah. And I watched it the other day. I'm like, this is going to be some good autistic shit. We're going to do an ep. No, incorrect. And that's a fascinating nah, thing. I'm like, oh, you had so many opportunities, but no. And that's an interesting thing because, oh, oh God, who plays Enola Holmes? Uh, Millie, Bobby. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Bobby Brown. Bob, yeah. Yeah. She's 
Yeah, she's she, great. She strikes me as autistic too, uh, because I, I've seen the interviews. I've seen people complain that she's rude, that she's direct. There was an interview on Letterman where I think it was Letterman where she was jumping all over David Harbor when she was much younger and not doing the personal space stuff. And it, it just seems like, again, that's a trait. But uh, again, playing Enola Holmes, uh, uh, one of the Holmes kids, it, it seems like it fits. But but anyway, yeah, okay. that's the thing. Back All of this, yeah. Because again, while while we are not a monolith, while we are not universally represented by all things, while we are not all of us are brake cars. We, we do have a lot of traits and we see ourselves there. Uh, I, I've always referred to Big Bang Theory as an autistic minstrel show because it's it, it purports to be sort of autistic with Sheldon, but really, really misses the mark and feels offensive in many ways. I agree. And, and without mm-hmm. that authentic representation, without that authentic input, without that authentic portrayal, it, it seems like they... They, there's okay. So this is the problem with autism media. Oftentimes, autistic characters are there as a foil for the main character, so that the main character can feel good about themselves for helping a poor autistic character. They they are a martyralistic that say, "Ah, oh, yes, this poor autistic character has no friends," or like Wednesday, uh, doesn't have a boyfriend, so we need to fix her. <laughs> right. That's your makeover. Yeah, that's, but this is the, with Thomas and Bruno, everybody knows who Bruno is. Everyone appreciates Bruno's differences. Everyone just knows that that's how Bruno is and that's what he brings to the table. And this is, this is makes the difference between token representation and authentic Mm -hmm. representation because token, uh, because Bruno, it, very well could have been just an addition to the show. They could have consulted with Autism Speaks and Bruno could have showed up and said, I'm sad because I'm weird and don't have friends. Won't someone like me? And Thomas hitches himself to Bruno and drags him around the entire time so that he can do that. But no, they chose the right way. And that means so much to me. That means so much to me as an autistic person. That means so much to me as the parent of an autistic child. I have gotten three copies of this toy so that he has one here, one in his grandparents' house, and one to put on my wall of autistic heroes because every coded character that gets an action figure or merchandise in some way, I keep in the box and put it on a wall for the Hall of Heroes so that he knows that there's representation out there and he can see himself in these characters. And yeah. it's and so this is a, a uh, what uh, Daniel uh, Sherstrom said about this authentic representation. Underrepresented kids, including neurodiverse kids, should see themselves celebrated in stories and play. Thomas and Friends has a strong affinity in the autistic community, so including an autistic character is an organic validation of our fans. Thank you. And this, uh, on the topic of uh, effective representation, he says this. He does a lot of little things like flaps his stares like many autistic people clap their hands when they get excited or anxious. Oh, 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 uh, yeah. uh, And uh, they could have done some stereotypical character to check a diversity checkbox and call it a day. But they've been really dedicated to getting it right. Bruno is me, says uh, Daniel, when I was a child. The way he wants to help but doesn't always know how. The way he's interested in something, he learns everything. (laughs) 
And that's the thing about the timetables and the tracks. And that's he awesome. knows Sodor back and forth. When an impulsive train goes off and gets lost, he knows where they are because he's memorized everything. So he mm-hmm. is this walking encyclopedia of knowledge. And they say, so uh, how do we get all this mess? And he's like, I've got an idea. And so... Uh, Daniel says it's either a character who is super savant and able to do everything perfectly or totally helpless and needs to be pitied. Bruno is an everyday kid with quirks and strengths like everybody else. Yeah, that's what I was going to say about it is like it doesn't mean if you have somebody on your team at work or in your family or whatever who's the break it doesn't mean you never give them feedback like it doesn't like that's not the point here and I'm sure it's not just a Bruno celebration fest there's going to be conflict there's going to be issues where two people Bruno has one plan somebody else has another plan it's about seeing the strengths of Bruno, like what monotropism does for our knowledge, what our ability to research does that you don't have, and then being able to make accommodations to get the full benefit of that upside and give feedback that's not saying, could you please be a different person? Which, exactly. you know, the feedback I got growing up was, you would be so amazing. Like you are the smartest person I've ever met. You're such a creative thinker. You're so incredible, but your personality is really rough. Like you would be amazing if you could change who you were. And I believe that, Uh, you know, when Miss Miller pulled me into the hallway in eighth grade, she's like, you're the best writer I've ever known as an English teacher, but your personality is going to stop you from going anywhere in life. And Uh, I internalized all that. Like that sounded accurate to me. I knew that, and I'm sure Bruno knows he's good at knowing the maps. Like no one could have told me you're a bad writer. Yeah. I wouldn't, I just, I knew it. Bruno knows the maps. You can't tell him you don't know the maps. But when somebody said, but you have a terrible personality, so you're not going to be successful, that seemed equally true. I had just as much evidence for that. And there were no other voices in, not that in eighth grade, I would have been watching Thomas the Tank Engine, but there were no other voices in the culture that said to me like, oh, maybe it's not that you have a bad personality. Maybe your brain just works differently and we should take some time to understand how to work with your strengths. Yeah. And and on that note, uh, he also says this. There were no autistic characters in the media when I was a kid. I didn't know many autistic people. You feel like you're weird and different and need to change. I thought others shared my, if, if I thought others shared my experiences, that would have helped a lot. Me too, Daniel Shalestrom. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's the thing because, Everybody has strengths. Everybody has weaknesses. There will inevitably be interpersonal differences where you learn and you grow. But if someone says, yes, there's this fundamental thing about you that will prevent you from being successful because you're not like me, that is detrimental. That's damning, especially for a kid, especially for, you know, the target age for Thomas, because the kids who watch Thomas need to know that they do have a place in the world, that they do have acceptance, that they can have friends, that everybody can appreciate each other's differences. Uh, There might be kids who are more impulsive. There might be kids who are less. There might be kids who are outgoing. There might be kids who, uh, I I don't know, 
with like the brakes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. They we we need to know that we are part of this grand picture of all of the Thomas characters you can line up and put on the train tracks. We need to know that we have a place on those train tracks. And this is why it's incredibly important to have accurate representation. Because like we said, when we have that representation and it doesn't feel genuine, we feel it. We feel like we're not part of the conversation. We feel like someone says, oh, yes, token representation, checking off a diversity checklist, we're there. And that, that, this brings us to uh, the final takeaway from that. The biggest takeaway I hope, uh, I hope the kids get. Be cool, accept other people, and try and learn from one another. As long as they get that core message, I think that's all we really need. So complicated, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> Be cool, accept other people, and try and learn from one another. Revolutionary request from the autistic community. Exactly. And I, I think that if Thomas the Tank Engine can get it right, uh, we need to hold everybody else to a higher standard. We need to hold producers and toy makers and movies and everybody because we are a big chunk of the population. We are not going away. And, we, and we're not asking for too much. No, no. We, we just, if you're going to write our stories, please ask us about them. Please, please don't assume. So yeah, uh, I am I am ridiculously happy that uh, one of my son's favorite things accepts him in their community, and uh, I, I'm I'm happy to include Bruno as one of our people or Autistic or two. Hero uh, Bruno. Yeah. Uh, and does Emmett like Bruno? By the way, oh he loves like, him. yeah, he yeah, he, he's a brightly colored box. Yeah. Okay. So hard. What's there not to like? Yeah. Uh, but in some ways, like it's kind of cool if it's just like at some point boring to have autistic heroes, just like we have holistic heroes yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, someday we'll, someday we'll be boring. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, until that day comes, uh, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? Okay. I have a fun one for you. Okay. I don't like showers. I know that's weird. I'm an adult woman and I'm not supposed to say that, but that, that's get- actually a common thing for our people, but go on. I know. I get, well, I actually also don't like baths. What I don't like is being dry and then being wet and then being dry again. I don't mind the shower. I don't mind not showering, but the getting into the shower and getting wet, highly unpleasant. Getting out of the shower, cold air, wet body, don't like. That's the autistic inertia. That's the process complexity. That is the way. Can't. Don't want it. So many, 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 many fights growing up during the preteen years when I am sure there were good reasons for me to take showers that I did not take that my mother had to endure. Um, And I created a system probably, I don't know, maybe by college, in high school, by college. And so I have a system that makes taking showers that I've had for like 30 years that makes taking showers tolerable. So I have a time I do it. I have a process. I have an extraordinarily specific order. Everything has to go in the order. Everything has to be lined up. The shampoo bottle, all the products have to be from the same brands. I have a list of brands. They have to be turned face out so that they look like it's store merchandise. And this is what makes it possible for me to make that transition. And I don't change it. 
But it is very hard when I go to like, if I'm doing an overnight trip and you can't really take your supplies. So I'm like using shower stuff at a hotel and it's none of it's right. It's not lined up. It's the wrong way. Sometimes it has the wrong smells. They try and do these like masculine smell or like Irish spring. And then like my whole day is ruined. So I need like my smell. I need my thing. Anyway, after decades I have added a new step to my shower process. Ooh, tell us. It is everything. I am so excited. So I've seen these things. They're called like bath zoomers. You put a ball in in the bath. Um, it's like a water softener, like kind of like bubble bath and the and the thing like zooms around and they have them for little kids. But they now have something similar. I think it's probably made with baking soda and they're called shower steamers. And you put this disc just on the floor under the shower and the baking soda hits it and it like bubbles up. So fascinating. I have these shower steamers. I bought all of them. Of course. Because I had to find the brand I would like. So now I have lots of gifts. So I had to buy every scent from every company. And then I had to smell them all in a scientific process. I have selected my favorite company. I really hope they don't ever go out of stock, but I will buy Cratesful because I have like my company and the right smell from that company. But get this, it gets better. First of all, it's an amazing sell. So I hate most smells except for when I love smells. So I mostly avoid smelling and I always have a pocket full of posies so I can put my hand into, do you know that's what a pocket full of posies is for? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To keep from smelling the dead. (laughs) Yeah, you're walking by the dead people and it smells. I always have a pocket full of posies. What that is for me is I take a scarf and I spray it with my favorite perfume and then I can always put the scarf up to my nose as a pocket full of posies, which I do 15 times a day. As you do. But when I love a smell, I really love a smell. So I love this smell. Autistic step number one. Autistic step number two. This is the mind-blowing one. The shower steamer dissolves, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like baking soda and the water hits it. It times my shower. Oh, oh, that's neat. Oh, Oh, I like the structure. I get it. I have, and it's my, so I had to get the right size and the right flavor and the right scent and the right brand because it has to be the exact amount of time for my routine. I like that. Oh, that is, that goes back to the timetables and the schedules and everything right. running like a clock. That, what, once you have that, you have everything. I have everything. So literally for the last three days, since I figured this out, I've been looking forward to taking a shower. Usually I put it off for like an hour. I get coffee. I write another journal entry. I'm like, maybe I'll pull a tarot card and see what my fortune is for the day. I'll read my astrology. Like I will do anything to put off taking a shower. And now I'm actually excited about it because it smells good and it's timed perfectly. And then I win a prize. I've like gamified it. I get a dopamine hit when I can end at the exact time my shower steamer ends. This is the kind of advice that parents of autistic kids need because punishing kids for being dirty does not work, but finding something that makes it enjoyable does. Yeah, I did it. I did it for me. I parented me. What like what an amazing gift. I know we have a lot of parents that listen to the show because y'all write to us, but like 
I, I'm not mad at my parents. They didn't know I was a child of the eighties. This was not a thing, but what a different person I would have been if instead of being yelled at nonstop to take a shower and like my mom would say, you have a rat's nest in your hand, in your head. And like, it was always that I was smelly. I was the smelly one. And like, how different if this was something we just explored together and she didn't have those tools. Again, not mad, not hating, but parenting myself this way felt so good. And then sharing this and knowing maybe a parent will go on a scientific exploration with their child who hates showering as much as I did. I like that. I like that a lot. So that's my fun story for the week. Very nice. That, that, that is the way we do things in Autistica. Yes. And meanwhile, uh, since you're in Autistica, visit the land of Bruno at the new Thomas and Friends, uh, Friends All Engines Go. Check that out. We'll put some links in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else.